Good morning, FBC family and whoever else might be tuning in today. I'd like to welcome you to another uh, Sunday message. And uh, just to address President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's statement on the coming weeks, the lockdown is ending on the 1st of May to some degree, but as a church uh, to gather and to worship at the FBC building seems to still be a long way off. And uh, we're meeting as leadership actually um, early next week uh, to discuss some things going forward, how to minister to you and how to bring you the word and how to work around these um, these unprecedented times. So continue to pray for our church uh, and for the people in it. And I hear, I'm encouraged to hear so many people checking up and phoning others and even myself, other people have been phoning me and my wife to hear how we're doing. <laughs> Today I want to read a call to worship from Titus. He greets Titus, Paul greets Titus, and he says this, In hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and for others that you have committed your word to to be preached and to be taught in a good, godly, biblical manner according to your will and your purposes and, of course, to your glory. Thank you for all the godly men who are uh, preaching and giving the word to their congregations today through video or by whatever means they are doing it. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> today, we're looking at Timothy, and I want you I want us to walk this road together through through first and second Timothy. You know, I was I was looking at Timothy and um I, I knew that there was there was relevancy there for our church and for our time um and it's something that we haven't taught at FBC in a very long time and um And I was going to do a topical message or, or a few selected messages out of Timothy. But the more I read it, the more I wanted to share everything that I read. There was just so much content there that I think um, we can grow from and we can learn from. And ultimately, 
I'm just going to start from the beginning. I'm just going to start at 1st Timothy, and we're going to walk this road through 1st and 2nd Timothy. Together, it's about um, 10 chapters, I believe. Uh, so it's, it's not hefty, but there, there is great relevant content there. <clears throat> Timothy, one of the themes of Timothy is, is the contrast of the true gospel versus a false gospel. Um, and what it produces, the gospel produces godliness. And so we must expect, it must be expected from our teachers. That's, that's me in your case. And Pastor David, it must be cultivated through good teaching. It must be exemplified in the believers. must be expressed in corporate fellowship and prayer and it must be tested in the fruits that it produces and ultimately it must be kept pure from corruption and false teaching <coughs> that is the mandate that Paul places on Timothy as a leader of this church at Ephesus that was sent there by Paul to, to lead, to shepherd, to give oversight. But it doesn't mean that Timothy is, is just for the pastor and, well, if I'm not a pastor, I'll just read over it. No, not at all. There is a lot of uh, commands and teachings and encouragement and edification to the people. Um, it, it's something that we all need to know, but in a more specific way, these ideas and these teachings and these commands are, are expressed to Timothy for the benefit and the, the result of the growth of the congregation. And so as we walk through Timothy, There's so much there um, where Paul, uh, in stages throughout the book, gives Timothy commands. And then he directs those commands to the congregation. Uh, I want to read you, um, actually, the last... The last verse in 1 Timothy, I think this summarizes this description very well. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 6 verse 20, it says, O Timothy, guard that was, that was committed to you. Guard what was committed to you, avoiding the profane and the idle babblings and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. <clears throat> and then the book ends. You know, 
I was hesitant at first to start here in chapter one, not that um, it says things that, that we can't benefit from, but that it talks about false teachers and false teaching. And I thought, can we preach about it more? What more is there to say? We know they're out there. We know we have to watch for them. But at FBC, we guard the gospel well. I, I, I do believe that is one of the, the things that um, the Lord has allowed us to do well at FBC. And so I thought maybe I should just start at chapter 2 and, um, and leave chapter 1 for another day. But think about the climate that we find ourselves in. Think about that in 2,000 years since this was written, it has not gone away. It has not been eradicated like a weed or like a virus, where after 2,000 years of preaching against false teaching in some form or another, that we have now this pure set of doctrines and heresy and false teaching is a thing of the past. <clears throat> it's not. And then I got to chapter 2. He says, remind them of these things. That in our world today, Especially now, more than ever, false teachers have a reason to preach false gospel. People want hope. And if a man stands in front of a camera like I'm doing now, with an audience of a hundred thousand people, to say whatever he wants to say, if he can give them hope, even false hope, people will listen. And isn't that the, the danger? In fact, to guard against false teaching is more relevant, I believe, than it ever has been. Florida-based pastor Rodney Howard Brown posted a video in which he says, which he has cursed the coronavirus in Jesus' name. I don't think that's... There, there's way too much to unpack there. Kenneth Copeland, the... Um, the long-standing bad seed. He's standing behind the screen... Um, behind a banner that says, against the coronavirus, he instructs viewers to hold their hands up against the television to receive healing. Again, there's so much worry and, and, and anger that, that gets welled up in me when I read things like this. People are more vulnerable and susceptible than ever. And just because you attend Faith Baptist Church or another good Bible-believing church doesn't mean 
we're less susceptible. So he charges this young man to address the issue of false doctrine against true doctrine and its implications. In fact, 1 Timothy starts off with this and it ends with this. 2 Timothy starts off with this and it's addressed again in the book. Titus, another pastoral epistle, starts off with warning against false teachers. <clears throat> the book of 1 John and 2 John um, fellowship with um, unbelievers who claim to be believers. Um, many, 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 many scriptural passages overwhelmingly address this fact. I think we need to handle it and consider it with the gravity that it deserves, even if it is, um, even if it feels saturated. I think this really, this theme gets woven into the rest of Timothy. And so we're actually going to read from, from verse 3, the pastor's uh, commission says, um, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. <clears throat> that is the command that, um, that Paul gave Timothy, or rather his commission, his, uh, his reason for going. We call this uh, a call to ministry in our contemporary world. We can't have just any random person claim revelation from God or claim a mission from God and go out and then do that. And because the Holy Spirit told me you are not allowed to keep me accountable for that. You are not allowed to inquire on that. And so just let me be. Get out of my way. And um, you're, you're quenching the spirit. Oh man, I've heard that so many times. <clears throat> but yet, Paul writes this letter along with this young man, with qualifications. We're going to get to that at a later stage. But here he, he commands um, to abide in Ephesus still um, and, and do this thing that I, I asked you to do. We call that a call. A, a, a pastor um, must be called by God to the ministry, but that calling is affirmed, firstly, by mentors like Paul. 
Um, Pastor David is my mentor. He has um, taught me so much. And in so many years, I've learned uh, tremendously from him and many others. And um, I'm not a lone wolf or a wild gun or a rogue agent. <laughs> I, I respect the poles in my life that, that, that I look to and that have charged me with the things of the ministry over the years. I'm using myself as an example because um, I know myself the best. But wherever you find yourself, there are, there are young men in your church and there are the next generation of preachers and teachers and pastors and they have a calling. And I pray that they may also have a charge and someone to, um, to receive that from, whether it be a home church, whether it be... Um, uh, a man of God, um, so he charges his church, uh, let them preach no other doctrine. <clears throat> there, uh, right off the bat, we are introduced to one of the problems that are um, present at this church. Listen to the next verse. Uh, verse 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in the faith. So our first point was the pastor's commission. The next one is the pastor's challenge. <coughs> Timothy had many things to do, but ultimately um, it all touched on, uh, on this one predominant challenge that you are going to face uh, opposition from false teachers here at Ephesus and your efforts and your instruction um, should never be done unaware of this issue. Um, and so there's a there's an insight into specifically what this is. He says, neither heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. So the Jewish uh, people were bringing um, not baggage but um, things from their uh, culture and the law and. The Greeks were bringing things from their pagan religion. <coughs> and it was a church with a really uh, mixed bag. But uh, Timothy was instructed that there is one gospel, there is one uh, truth, and what is brought extra to that is... Um, is damaging and harmful and does not achieve the result of our ministry, which he tells us in the next verse. But he says that the Jewish people brought 
what about this and what about the succession and what about um, genealogies <laughs> because you're descended from this guy you're, you're you know and he says that minister questions it, it brings confusion and it creates doubt and worry and uncertainty can we think of an example of this happening in our modern age today I think we can consider the flood of YouTube um, prophetic ministries and televangelists like Kenneth Copeland consider um, the prophecies that these um, so-called ministers give every year, year after year after year, um, and consider if your walk with God, if your life, if your uh, sanctification and godliness would have been more detrimental without the vague um, words of a modern prophet. And consider what the Bible teaches about the claim and what is done in the name of Christ that is damaging to that name. There's a, uh, there's a YouTube clip from, from a guy named uh, Justin Peters. Um, so he's a contemporary of John MacArthur, uh, a biblical uh, preacher, and, um, and he has a, a YouTube video where he considers the prophecies of 20 um, modern prophetic ministries and uh, how they're doing with that so far. Um, yes, we can see that today. We can see genealogies and fables, I love that word, made up stories being brought into the church and all it brings is more questions. So the pastor's commission the pastor's challenge and the pastor's conviction in verse 5. Why is it important that we continue? Um, sorry, let me read the verse first. It says, Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. <clears throat> the end of this command, this command to preach no other gospel and to guard this purity and to defend against the untruth. What is the end of this commandment? It should produce charity. This charity flows from three things. <clears throat> it's telling us that these things are hindrances to us, it, it it's only serves to distract us 
and to slow us and to um, and to bring doubt. And the purpose of this command is to clear the way. Charity is a word that embodies love um, and goodwill towards your fellow man. It's very specifically applied in I give to charity, but to be charitable, to, to, to have a characteristic of charity, is to show uh, sincerity and love and goodwill towards your fellow human beings. That is what charity means. And that is a simile or in parallel with, with the great commandment of Jesus, to love as I have loved you. It says, out of a pure heart, we see three aspects of salvation here. It's not out of a general pure heart and out of a general pure, uh, good conscience. It is um, sourced and rooted in a new life in Christ. Listen to this. Um... We just get there. <laughs> um, a pure heart. We are not uh, pure in our motives. We are sinful. The blood of Christ purifies. Out of a good, uh, clear conscience, we act, especially a uh, pastor that, that, that speaks to you about the Word of God, um, to have a clear um, conscience about my actions. Why am I doing this? To get money out of you? To trick you? To manipulate you? <clears throat> to advance some sort of political idea? Or am I here to tell you about God because the Word of God is truth? My conscience is clear. I doubt we can say the same thing for so, so, so many others. Charity needs to be of good conscience. And you can do that with uh, ulterior motives. Um, and it needs to come from faith unfeigned. <coughs> to doubt or not rest in the assurity of God's promises. These are things that come through salvation. Have you placed faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you repented of your sins and asked the sovereign, almighty God of the universe to forgive you because Jesus has died for them and accept 
the gift of salvation. And then the pastors um, the pastors command. So how does he tackle and, and, and challenge this initial uh, burden to address false doctrine in the church? People have uh, eschewed it says in verse uh, 6, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Swerved to, to aim at something and to literally aim at something else and shoot that target instead. Uh, vain jangling arguments and opinions and discussions that don't amount to anything that's that's not worth anything teachers of the law they desire whatever their motivations and reasons are uh, so let's look at um, uh, verse 7 um, desiring to teach uh, to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Not only are they misinterpreting what they're reading or what they're saying, that, that they don't understand the actual implications of what they're trying to get across. In this case, it was the law. But also the subject of the of the content and, and those affirmatives would be uh, God or affirmations rather not affirmatives would be God. They don't know God. Jesus himself said, "You've done all these wonderful things in my name, but I don't know you." And it's not referring to the sincerity of people. But I thought I thought I was doing things in your name <laughs> no it's the 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 malicious use <coughs> of god's name and they desire to be teachers of the law how interesting yet their hearts are not right with god their motives are not right towards the people but they want to be teachers of this word whether actively malicious, how can this benefit me? Or out of pride or ignorance or, <coughs> or whatever, um, this desire is not in accordance with the will of God. Because later in 2 Timothy, um, no, in chapter 2 of, of 1 Timothy, he gives the qualifications of uh, church leadership. And he says, he that desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing. Yes, that is true, but it is not unconditional. And that is what uh, I alluded to earlier, that when a, a person does anything or claims anything in the name of God, without accountability, without oversight, 
there's a huge problem there and you should run for the hills. It's a red herring. No. Here we read very precisely that teachers and leaders of the Word of God submit themselves to, uh, to accountability and to affirmation of their calling. I was asked during my ordination if, if the ordination council had failed me, what, what would I do? What would that mean for my life? Well, you could answer one of three things. Okay, firstly, you could answer, well, I'm going to quit the ministry and I'm going to go back to secular employment and just carry on with my life. Or you could swing the other way and say, well, I don't care what you think because calling's from God and I'm going to start my own church and uh, it doesn't matter what, what you guys uh, have to say about it. And then there's the third answer to say, well, I know that my calling is from God, but I submit myself to the experience and the wisdom of this council and to my church. And if they deem that I'm not ready yet, then I will apply myself in the areas where I'm weak and grow and until such time, Pastor David or the church. Uh, feels that I can be reevaluated by this council. Can the people that you tune into YouTube to watch, can you say the same things about them? What's the reaction when you call them out? I've heard some horror stories where the church leadership is, is above the reproach of the common people. How dare you ask a question or call me into, um, into question? Just do what you're told. I'm trying to apply the commands of, of Paul to Timothy to our current, very real circumstances. Under the coronavirus, we are detached from uh, a, a constant stream of biblical teaching where something dangerous is perhaps just a recommended video away, where chain messages flood our WhatsApp inboxes and it is left up to you to discern good from bad. Verse 10. Verse 10. We read um, sorry, let's go to verse 9. Who is righteous? Those who have... Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for 
unholy, profane murderers of fathers and mothers, manslayers, <clears throat> for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with uh, mankind, for man-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. <clears throat> we read here that Sound doctrine or the law, if used lawfully, remember verse 8, did I read verse 8? But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. You and I as Christians, as believers, we can use the law for good. There's a reason why it's still in our New Testament. But it is not to follow, we are not under the law. What this verse tells us and what so much of the New Testament teaches is that when we look at the law, we look at it to show us our need for God and for a Savior. That it is meant to exemplify and um, the, the sins of mankind. We, we read it and we read the failures of Israel and the failures of the nations before that and, and the failures of uh, the human race since then and that, that, that nobody is able to keep the law in its entirety and, and how much we have fallen short of the glory of God. And... And this should then turn us in repentance to place faith in Jesus Christ. I, I can't do this. Nobody can. <laughs> that is the purpose of the law for us today. And he says that's good. That is the right way to consider the teachings of Scripture. And it is meant for all the for everyone, for everyone who has not placed faith in Jesus Christ, for who has not been forgiven, this list is you and me. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, that is the relevancy now uh, in our discussion this morning, <coughs> that we hold up God's law, God's word, God's, uh, the, the person of, of the, the triune God and the characters that he embodies uh, and expressed in his law and his commands in the New Testament, we can hold that up to anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, saying, you have to answer to this. How many of the people that we find on YouTube or subscribe to or buy books for is able to pass even the simplest of tests? 
laid before them in Scripture. Doctrine is not a bad thing. It is essential for our faith. You, you, you can't say, well, I'm not a religious person. I, I just have a relationship with God. Jesus cared about good doctrine. That's what he, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is, is him addressing the, the misuse and the correct interpretation of many of the major Old Testament commands. When he was uh, confronted by a group of Sadducees about the resurrection, he says, you do not know the scriptures. When he was walking with two of his disciples after his resurrection, he said, he expounded the whole of the law and of the prophets and of the writings concerning himself. <clears throat> Jesus cares about good doctrine. If you say, I just have a relationship with him, I don't worry about all that doctrine stuff. Those two statements don't add up. I have a relationship with him too. I love God. And I, with everything that I'm able to, immerse myself in what he has revealed about himself and what he has taught and what he has told me to be obedient to. Because there is a relationship, there is knowledge about him, and there is submission because he's our king. Sound doctrine is good, and don't be put off by the word religion. Religion is just um, uh, traditions and, and, and systems that, that, that we follow and, and, and conform to, to um, that form our faith practices. When we sit in church and sing songs um, and meet on a Sunday, that's religion. <laughs> you, cannot, you, you cannot say, I'm not religious, and then go and attend a church service. It's, it's not a bad word. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> And it's not contrary to walking with God. In fact, they're one and the same thing. Sound doctrine. So here, in verse 11, he ends his, his um, exhortation, his command to Timothy to, to be careful of false teachers. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So he continues the thought of verse 10. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed into my trust. We have a responsibility with God's word, not only to it. We have an obligation 
to protect it. During this time, you have been WhatsApped. You have been forwarded a chain message. You have scrolled through a Facebook post <coughs> or come across a YouTube video or spoke to somebody over the phone where this has come up. Did you have an answer? Did you have a defense? When somebody says, why is God doing this? It must be because he's punishing us. It must be because um, of the Chinese. Or it must be because of this and this. It must be because it's the end times. You had a conversation with somebody about that. I'm sure I have many, many, many times in just these few weeks. It was committed to Timothy to guard these things, but it was placed on the shoulders of the Ephesian church as well. In fact, the charge to Timothy was to make sure that the church guards the gospel. This is our responsibility, and it is relevant for our time now. And as we look at the rest of Timothy in the coming weeks, um, about the qualifications of leadership, about uh, praying for church, about uh, worship and conduct and all these other uh, great things. There is something that, um, that underlines that, especially now, especially with what is happening in the world, we need to guard the gospel. And you need to equip yourself to be able to do that. Let me help you. Let me, uh, let FBC do this together. We can't meet as a church, but we can do something. If you've had these conversations, don't just brush it off and let it go. Reach out to me. Get a hold of that person again. Maybe comment, I guess, if, if you're able to um, uh, control your emotions. Things like this actually upset me. And um, I have to be careful not to uh, hurt the name of Christ by reacting in anger. But we need to... We need to actively put our feet down where it matters. That is my, um, my hope and that is my, um, my charge for you if you're listening here this morning. Let's pray and may the Lord bless you. Amen. Lord, 
you you have given the church through Timothy an important role. And in the 2,000 years since then, we have we have been given that same responsibility. False teachers have not gone away. Your word is relevant now as it has ever been. I pray that we may sincerely and actively apply it, not just for ourselves and to our own benefit, but for the church body as a whole. Many people are turning to you during this time. It will be sad to see them turn into the hands, into the, the words of a false teacher preaching false hope. Please help us in this. Please help those who, who are seeking you to seek you and find truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.